Hey everybody, welcome to Hacking Into Security, your career-related cybersecurity show. I'm your host, Ricky Burke, the InfoSec recruiter, and regularly we'll be catching up with a variety of guests from CISOs, entrepreneurs, VCs, new people into the industry, and more. Each sharing their story, industry knowledge, and advice on how others can navigate success in their career. So sit back, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Hacking Into Security. I'm your host, Ricky Burke, and today we are joined by Shubs. Shubs, welcome. Thanks, Ricky. It's good to be here. So Shubs is the co-founder of AssetNote. Well, what can I say? I've known you for a few years, and you've got one hell of a background, and definitely there's a thing or two people can, I think, learn from yourself and, and people you know in the industry, and would love to delve a bit deeper, if that's okay. Yeah, that sounds great. So for those that don't know you, who are you? Oh, well, I'll start by saying I'm Shabam Shah, Shabs for short. I'm the co-founder of AssetNote. I've been in the information security industry for just over 10 years now, and I am heavily associated with doing bug bounties and finding really interesting bugs. And I guess for the most part, I just really, really love information security, especially when it comes to web application security which is what I spend the majority of my time on. And you mentioned obviously bug bounties, and that'll be a topic of our conversation as well. And that's, I guess, been a big part of your career. I guess, do you mind, I guess, telling us how you got started in bug bounties and also maybe a step before that in terms of just security in general? Yeah, sure. How I got started in security is actually quite an interesting story. And it happened quite early when I was a kid. I used to play a lot of games with my brother. And my brother was a lot better than me when it came to playing games. He would always beat me. He's my older brother and he was quite good at them. So I used to be quite upset as a kid that I would never win. And one of the things that really drove me to get into cybersecurity was breaking into games and hacking games. <laughs> so one of, the, one of the first things that I did as a teenager was really get into the game hacking side of things. I signed up to a lot of forums that were specialized in hacking games, and I learned a lot of things there. Everything from reverse engineering to really understanding the games to the point where you can hack them and get an unfair advantage online. Now, a lot of people, they don't like hackers in games, so I totally understand that. And I don't hack games anymore, but that was definitely how I got into it. What was the game that made you frustrate your brother in the end? Well, it was two things. First, it was Age of Empires, which we used to play all the time. And there was also some online games like Gunbound and GunZ, which are not that well known, but they were pretty large at the time. And it was pretty extraordinary playing online games 10, 15 years ago, because it was such a phenomenon. Awesome. So how did you go from game hacking to, yeah, I guess getting in the, in the industry at a very early age? Well, to be completely honest, I had no idea that the information security industry existed. And when I was getting into game hacking and all that, and I enjoyed it so much, I used to always think to myself, wow, it would be so awesome if I had a job doing this day in, day out. <laughs> but I, I never thought that was a possibility. In fact, as a teenager, it was never clear to me that I could actually get a job in information security. And the whole fact that information security was an industry, that wasn't clear either. It was really a black box for me. And my parents, they're immigrants. They didn't know much about this industry either. Neither did my brother, neither did anyone I know. So it was really, I guess, difficult to understand how to even break into the industry if there was an industry. But what eventually happened was I started going to local meetups, I started going to conferences, and I realized that there's actually a huge community for me and there's a huge, huge space for me to thrive in. And I realized this pretty early on when I was a teenager 
And it really did change the way I thought about this whole industry. That's awesome. So you go to conferences, you go to meetups. I'm guessing you're building out your relationships then. And what happens from there? That's right. Building out the relationships was super important for me. And to be completely honest, at the time, we used to call it the smoking track where, you know, you just, a lot of people would just hang out and smoke and drink. And (laughs) and essentially that's where I used to always be. And in conferences, surprisingly, I didn't actually spend that much time watching conference material, like watching talks and stuff. I actually just spent 99% of my time talking to the really interesting people who are hanging out back. And we would have discussions from all sorts of things. And I would learn so much stuff. It's also how I met my co-founder as well. Awesome. Yeah, I agree. And I guess the thing is, you can watch so many awesome presentations. You know, look, we can look at DEF CON that just obviously happened, the, the safe mode. And there's good talks online you can watch. But the thing is, you can't replicate meeting people in person and building those relationships and just really getting to know people on a sort of personal basis. Yeah, I totally agree. It's difficult to build relationships online. And I really do miss the uh, the physical aspect of being able to converse with someone day in, day out at meetups, at conferences and things like that. But I guess what is really interesting about conferences and meetups is I was actually doing a lot of extracurricular security stuff before I started going to conferences and meetups. And this was, I guess, my way of getting into the industry was quite different because I started doing a lot of research and a lot of blog posts, I guess, about research that I thought was interesting. As a teenager, I often had all these really crazy ideas that I wanted to try. And sometimes these crazy ideas would lead to some really serious vulnerabilities. Like, for example, when I was a teenager, I published, I think, one of my most read blog posts, which was about bypassing two-factor authentication through voicemail. And that in itself led to a lot of opportunities for me in the future. That's great. And I guess what happened from there then in terms of opportunities? Well, it got picked up by the newspapers and the newspapers published this little segment about how Vodafone's voicemail system is insecure and how it's possible to steal anyone's voicemail and things like that. And this segment got picked up by a a friend of mine, actually now, Craig Davies, who used to be the head of security at Atlassian. He used to be the CISO at Atlassian. And he read this article and he reached out to me and he said, he just reached out for a coffee. I met him in the city and he was really chill. We had a great conversation. And he basically, off the back of that, he offered me a job at Atlassian. And it was awesome. Like, it wasn't a full-time job. It was a contracting gig. But nonetheless, he gave me a really good shot when I was really young. And I'll never forget that. When you say young, what what age were you? I was probably 17. (laughs) Right. Okay. Awesome. Wow. How did you feel meeting someone, you know, at that sort of level, at, at that sort of age? It was surreal. I, it was really surreal. But at the same time, I had no idea what to expect because I looked up to Atlassian as a company quite a lot as a teenager. I went to these computer science camps, which Atlassian used to sponsor, and I was exposed to the company quite a bit. So it was really surreal for me when I, I was able to meet Craig and, and talk to him about all the work that I've been doing and research I've been doing as a teenager. And he was so excited about it that he thought, how can I get you in at Atlassian and get some value value at Atlassian? And when I finally joined, I joined as a contractor. And basically, when I joined Atlassian, I committed to finding one bug a day for every day that I worked at Atlassian. So every single day I worked at Atlassian, I would come into the office and I would spend eight hours solid at least finding at least one security issue across Atlassian's attack service. 
Was yep. that your your own personal KPI? Or was that something they were looking for? No, it was my own personal KPI. I said to myself that I would do it from the day that I started at Atlassian. No one was expecting me to do this. They, Especially they a were, 17 year old. Yeah, no, exactly. And what I ended up doing, and I'm really proud of it, is I did find one bug a day and I did end up writing up a huge post on Atlassian's internal internal blog, I guess, where I discussed all of the different issues that I found. I split them up by severity. And essentially, I think I did a really good job in that time and it was really well appreciated from all sides. That's awesome. So 17, what's going on with school or education and things like that at that time? <laughs> well, it's it's pretty funny because growing up in high school, my parents used to always say, you know, like, I know that your brother's going to get into university, but I don't know if you're going to get into university. <laughs> and it was always tricky, right? It's like, because I, I never performed so well at school for a long time. But then when it came to year 11 and 12, I really did bunker down. And I really did want to beat my brother, to be honest, again. <laughs> it's, it just comes back to that competitive element for me. And when competing with my brother, I uh, did extremely well with my HSC. I state ranked and I got a really high score. But ultimately, the only reason I did that was because I knew that there was a security course at UNSW that you needed to do this computer science degree for. Right. And that security course was being run by industry leaders it was called 9447. It's, I don't think it's still being run today, but I might be wrong. But it was being ran by two industry leaders that have been working in our industry for a long time, have been pen testing for a long time. And they'd come up with a curriculum which tested all the practical aspects of cybersecurity when it came to web application exploitation, reverse engineering, and binary exploitation. But this course was a third-year course. So I got this mark that I needed to get to get into UNSW. And I ended up signing up for computer science. And I was lucky enough to have known my boss at the time at Hack Labs, who basically made the introduction to one of the course leaders for 9447. And they were able to put me into that course in the first year of university without me doing all the prerequisites. And I barely passed that course, if I'll be completely honest, because it was extremely challenging. But I learned so, so much. And really, after that course, I kind of just dropped out of university because there wasn't that much that I really wanted to do at university at the time. And I was already in the industry. And that was really the course that I went to university for, to be yeah, completely honest. You saw what you, what you wanted to see. Yeah. So you, you said you were, you were working at the time as well. Yeah, that's right. So I was working at Hack Labs at the time. It was my first job in information security. And to explain how I got that job is actually quite interesting. I had just finished high school. I had just gotten my marks and I was looking for a job. And at this point, as a teenager, when you're looking for a job, it's not obvious to you to try and apply to all these different security companies. But I knew what I wanted to do. I knew that I was passionate about information security and I loved web application security. So what I ended up doing was I canvassed out all of the different organizations in Australia that do do web application security. And I contacted them one by one, asking them for a shot, basically. I sent them my resume. I showed them all my experience with research, with bug bounties. I, I tried to put all my extracurricular activities when it comes to application security in that resume, it was just one page. But ultimately, only one person responded, wow. which was Hack Labs. And I met Chris Gafford at Hack Labs, who was running Hack Labs at the time, in Manly with one of their principal consultants. And this was just before he had decided to give me an internship 
but we went through, I think, 20 to 30 minutes of just hardcore questions <laughs> when it came to web application security. They quizzed me on everything. And I had an answer for everything. And I, I thought I was pretty confident. And I thought I had a good understanding of how it all worked. And ultimately, he gave me that job. He gave me that internship. He gave me that chance, which was great. And I, I learned so much about pen testing while I was there. Yeah, you also get, you, you gained that for sort of first commercial experience. That's right. I had no idea how to interface with customers. I had no idea how the whole pen testing flow works and how you need to find all, you, all the stuff you need to find. You need to report it. You need to make sure that it's very legible and the customer fully understands the impact. And all these small things that you pick up as a consultant over time. I didn't know all those things. So it was really great for that. That's an amazing strategy because to be honest, that's exactly what I recommend to people to do, especially trying to break into the industry because it's so bloody tough. But you've gone like beyond the standards, just looking at for jobs or applying for jobs or even looking at security companies. The fact that you're looking at companies that focus on web apps, that's awesome. Yeah, it was really at the time, there weren't that many in Sydney that I could really go for. And I wasn't really sure how big the industry was. As I said earlier, like I still was in a state where I had no idea if I would have a job in any sort of industry pursuing hacking. And, you know, I had my challenges growing up when it comes to what job I should pursue, because my parents, you know, that as I said earlier, they're immigrants, they're, they're great people, but they, they obviously want the best for me. And they, they wanted to see me become like a doctor or a pharmacist. And, you know, I used to always argue with them and say, no, I want to do security. I love security. Like it's the best thing in the world. But they never knew that there was an industry in security. So they yeah. would, they, they, they had no idea. So they would recommend for me to do pharmacy or something like that. And it would be a long discussion. But ultimately, I'm really, really happy that I ended up doing what I did, which was not listening to anyone and just trying to get a job in security, just getting that first job, the most important thing ever. Like I remember when I was looking for those security jobs, as I'm a teenager, my brother recommends to me, maybe you should be looking at jobs at Subway. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I get it. But at the same time, I really want to work in this industry. Like, I understand I'm a teenager. I understand I don't have that much experience. But that's all the things that I want, and I've got to find out a way to do that. So that's exactly what I did. That's amazing. I mean, and you may not want to share this figure, and I completely understand if you don't. But I mean, as a rough idea, as someone who's done been bloody successful in bug bounties, do you know what you've accumulated over the years? Yeah, so I'm happy to share that figure. Like it's roughly seven hundred thousand dollars US that I've accumulated over the years. So I'm not at the million dollar mark like some other hackers are, but it has been a really successful run in bug bounties. Okay, that's not bad. <laughs> that's, that's, that's probably what, around a million Australian dollars anyway. Yeah, if we counted an AUD, but I do want to hit the million dollar mark in USD at some point. Pretty envious that some of my other hacker friends have hit that. No, no offense, but you're still young. And to have achieved- No, no, totally. Like if, to achieve that much and obviously now, you know, effectively running your own business, co-founding your own company. And obviously we can talk about that as well. It just goes to show that if, you know, if you had listened to other people, then wow, you could have been down a very different path. That's right. And like, unfortunately, everyone who was giving me advice, their heart was at the right place. Yeah. They, they were only giving me advice based on what they knew and what they thought would be the best for me. But Unfortunately, they just didn't know much about the security industry and I was just starting to get into it. So I really wanted to untie that thread really. So I, 
I think there was a lot of positive reinforcement as I started getting into the security industry that helped alleviate some of the anxiety and I guess doubts that my parents had. But I remember when I was dropping out of university, that was a really big deal for me because I had to I had to decide at the time, am I going to focus on my career or am I going to focus on this university degree? And I had already gotten a job at Hack Labs and then I had gotten a job at Atlassian. The next job that I was going after was going to be some sort of corporate job, I thought at the time. And I got really lucky with that. Someone had offered me a job at EY after hearing about me just offhand. And we had this discussion at EY and it was the forensics lead at EY who said, I would love to build out my you know, cyber capabilities in this field. And I'd love to bring you on. And I was really young at the time and I was still in university. So I had to toss up whether or not I was going to take a full-time oh. job at EY. But my parents, they didn't want me to leave university, obviously. So I made a deal with them. I said, if I can get a full-time job that pays <laughs> me a good enough salary that's in my industry, then you have to let me drop out of university. And that's the deal that we ended up making. And I ended up getting that job at EY, which I worked for around a year at. And that made the world of difference when it came to alleviating some of the anxiety my parents had about me dropping, dropping out of university. But I guess the other thing I would say is university was incredibly difficult for me. I don't know what it is about university in particular, but I don't think I'm built for it necessarily. I think it's, for me, it was very difficult at the time. And I found that actually being in the industry and doing work in the industry was a lot more fun and a lot easier for me day in, day out when it came to what I actually wanted to do and achieve. Right now, I've got friends who have just finished university and I honestly commend them for how much effort they've put in to get to that point because it's a really difficult thing to do. But it is also really interesting to see how everything has unfolded. With me not going for my university degree, it has helped open up so many opportunities when it comes to my career because I started so early. Because I started so early, I've been able to, I guess, get so much more experience to the point where I really do feel like I have enough experience to provide good advice to people in this industry. So it's interesting. Definitely. So we spoke about bug bounties. So how did you get into bug bounties to start with? So there's this website in Australia called Ausbargain. And Ausbargain, I used to use all the time. <laughs> I didn't have much money growing up. So what I used to always do is look for coupons, you look for deals and prices and things like that, things that was on sale and so forth, right? But one thing that I also was doing at the time was I, I got a little, little bit curious about Ausbargain and their security so I started looking a little bit at the security and I started finding some vulnerabilities. Now, I don't recommend this to everyone because I didn't necessarily have permission at the time, but I had good intentions. And once I found something that was serious, I immediately emailed the owner of Ausbargain and I wasn't expecting anything from him. I just emailed him, giving him all the details about the vulnerability so he could fix it. And surprisingly, he came back to me and he said, wow, thank you so much. I'd like to give you $100 through PayPal. And at the time, $100 was a lot of money to me. I think this was when I was maybe 14. So it was a huge deal for me. It, it's not a huge bounty, but it was probably one of the first bounties that I've ever received. It wasn't from a bug bounty program. It, it, this was before bug bounty programs were even really around. So that was the first bug bounty I received. But then when it comes to actually pursuing bug bounties at the time, the big bug bounty at the time was PayPal. 
And PayPal had a, a really awesome bug bounty and they still have one today, which is really awesome. But it was one of the first bug bounties before Bug Crowd, before HackerOne. And at the time, PayPal used to pay for a lot of issues that today they don't really pay for. But at the time, I would find issues that weren't exactly super high risk, but they were still definitely security issues. And I would report them to PayPal to see whether or not they would reward me with a bounty. I remember I was working at Hungry Jack's, which is the equivalent of a Burger King in Australia. And I had spent maybe eight months working there and I'd made maybe something like $800, making $6.50 an hour. And I remember the first bug that I got paid out from PayPal, which was, I think, 1,500 USD. <laughs> and that's the day that I decided I was never going to go back to Hungry Jack's and I just didn't show up for my next shift. Time for a quick break. I'm Ricky Burke. In my full-time role, I'm the founder and director of CyberSec People, a leading cybersecurity recruitment company, where we support organizations across the US and APAC in hiring cybersecurity talent. Through our connections and reach into the security community, our deep industry knowledge, we save organizations time when hiring. We have a 98% success rate and a three-year track record that demonstrates we only have to send on average two applicants to find success. If your organization is hiring, reach out as we'd love to discuss what that means for you. In the meantime, thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of the podcast. <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. Okay. And then you've, you've done on, gone on to do quite a bit more since then. Yeah. So, so what are your highlights, I guess, in, in bug bounties? There's so many, I guess, different things that people can achieve. What have you enjoyed so far? Uh, it's got to be the research. I think like one of the things that's so, so exciting about bug bounties is that they have facilitated so much research in web application security and security in general that we're seeing so much innovation come out of the bug bounty space on a regular basis. It's unbelievable. So I think really my highlights when it comes to bug bounties was doing a lot of research when it comes to attack surface management and looking at an attack surface holistically. One of the things that I presented on a few years ago with my co-founder was on ephemeral vulnerabilities. And this, I think, was one of my favorite parts of research that I've done, where we essentially proved that it is possible to find vulnerabilities in short time spans that only exist for those short time spans. So vulnerabilities that are ephemeral in nature. And I really thought that was exciting because it's not a topic that has been explored in our industry that much or web application security. And when building Asset Note, I was actually able to prove the concept of ephemeral security vulnerabilities. So one of the vulnerabilities that I'm allowed to disclose, we've gotten permission and we've presented on it before, is actually a vulnerability in Slack, which AssetNote found. So nice. AssetNote was, I guess, running continuously on Slack's attack surface. And this was really early days when I was building out AssetNote. So nothing like it is today, but still the basic concepts of AssetNote. And at the time, it found a couple of Git repositories on a, a bunch of Slack domains that you wouldn't typically look for, like slack-files.com and things like that. But it found two, two or three Git repositories. And these Git repositories were ephemeral in nature. They were only online for a certain amount of time. And we were able to pull those Git repositories down for when they were online. And they contained all of the source code for Slack's backend, including over 100 secrets hard code. Wow. So that was one of the biggest bugs ever submitted to the Slack bug bounty program. And they paid me 10 grand for that one, which was the highest payout at the time. But 
that vulnerability, what was really exciting about it was the, the fact that it was ephemeral in nature, the fact that it only appeared for a short period of time. And I guess that's what drove me really to build out Asinode even further, because that concept alone is something that is a huge gap in our industry. We, if a vulnerability is only around for a couple of hours, most things aren't going to pick that up. Your typical scanner isn't going to pick it up. None of your controls are usually going to pick it up fast enough. It could have happened due to an automated process that you're not sure about. And that's what, what was the case in Slack as well. I think it was an automated process that put the Git repository up there. There's CICD processes. And when they worked that all out, it was really interesting to see how they remediated all the issues. But ultimately, I think the most exciting thing so far in bug bounties has been research. Cool. I um, remember a couple of years ago, you through HackerOne, again, you've obviously achieved a lot, but I remember seeing some pictures of you winning some sort of belt that looks like a sort of wrestling WWF belt. <laughs> yeah. Or WWE, whatever it's called these days. Yeah. Do, do you actually get to keep that or is that you... No, you get to keep it. No, no, you do get to keep it. It's just sitting here collecting dust at the moment. <laughs> don't wear it around. Don't wear it around. The house, then. <laughs> yeah, I could do that. But no, it's just collecting dust at the moment. But uh, it was a really great achievement for me, I think, as well. Like that, that's a really good point. It was probably, oops, so, well, it was probably some of the best bugs I've found in a short period of time. So that event in particular was for Facebook. And ultimately, I was able to find a bunch of issues in Facebook's subsidiaries and acquisitions that led to me winning that competition. A lot of people were focusing on the core Facebook product, whereas I was focusing on the peripherals, everything around their attack surface. What else do they have on the internet that's not directly facebook.com, but it's owned by Facebook? So I was trying to find other ways in. And I think that strategy was extremely successful for me at the time. Awesome. So in terms of success, and I guess other people that might want to follow the same sort of path or even just get started in bug bounties, do you have much advice for people in that position? Yeah, I think really I have a couple of peers in our industry who have given some really great advice on this. Like Hack Luke has said, really, the first step is just starting and just doing it. And I don't disagree with them because 90% of the time, I'm not doing anything super special. I am just focusing my time at looking at bug bounties. And I guess talking about success, we, we talk about success and we talk about these wins, which is great. But the reality is, is that behind these wins, there's so many losses. There's so many times that I've lost. And there's so many times where I've started looking for bugs and I've spent 30, 40 hours and I've found nothing. And it's, it's interesting because we talk about all these really awesome, interesting, cool bugs. But the reality is, is that I don't seem to find these bugs all the time. It's just that I'm looking at bug bounties so often that I end up finding them once in a while, if that makes sense. Like when I'm looking at bug bounties, it's, it's, not, it's not like I know that I'm going to find a critical finding, but I will still spend the time to look at the bug bounty because I know that it's better than doing nothing. <laughs> Yeah, you've you've got to be incredibly persistent. Yeah, it's, it's obviously not it's it's not something someone can, I guess, just touch you know an hour a day or whatever. You've got to be more focused than that, I guess. Yeah, totally. And like, if anyone does want to get into bug bounties, the way that I really got into bug bounties and cemented myself in the bug bounty community was the project that I did a couple of years ago, which was one bug a day for 120 days. Wow. So originally, I wanted to do 365 days, but I burnt out. 
really badly by the end of 120 days. So I don't necessarily recommend going at the same speed as I did, but if you can, then that's awesome. But essentially all I did was I had a couple of people to keep me accountable. And I used to have a list of bugs that I found. And every day I used to update it. And I used to talk with all these people who would keep me accountable and stuff. But I spent a lot of time in those 120 days really getting into bug bounties. And it was just that principle of finding one bug a day. And it's okay if you don't find one bug a day. You can catch up. If you find five bugs in a day, you've covered five days of bugs, if that makes sense. And I really recommend you read that blog post because I go through all of the different challenges I faced as well as all the different bugs I found and the values of the bugs as well. So that was definitely my way of getting into the bug bounty scene, I think. Cool. If, if you don't mind, maybe send that over and I can attach that to the notes on the podcast. Yeah, no, that sounds great. So you've had a lot of success in bug bounties. And again, it's not all, like you say, it's, there's lots of highlights, but obviously people don't always see the, the hard work that goes into it and the, the losses or the, the days of finding nothing at all. But yeah, on, on the back of all that, you've now co-founded your own company. So Asset Note, what, I guess, how did that come about and, and what are you guys up to? Yeah, no, absolutely. Asset Note really came about from the bug bounty space. When we look at bug bounties, there's a couple of parameters that bug bounties have that really made Asset Note thrive. Where bug bounties, you need to be the first person to report the bug in order to be paid. And on top of that, you also need to have, if you want to, if you want to get paid well, it depends on how critical your finding is. So those two pillars of bug bounties were really what drove the innovation of Asset Note. And the other thing is bug bounties have opened up the scope when it comes to scoping and when it comes to looking at attack surfaces. Ten years ago, you would normally only look at one or two websites or one or two subdomains or something like that on a pen test. Or on a pen test, you wouldn't usually have a wide scope, such a big scope as you do on bug bounties today. And what bug bounties really facilitated was the fact that you can now scan everything a company owns. And with Asset Note, when I was first building it out based on those certain characteristics, it was really successful at bug bounties because what it would do is it would find vulnerabilities really quickly. It would check it on an hourly cadence and all the findings that it were finding were custom checks that I had built from the ground up, which I knew would be accepted in bug bounties. So these were all vulnerabilities that I knew had real impact and I knew that would be accepted by bug bounties, which was really important. So when that all started kicking off, it started finding all these bugs in all these different programs on HackerOne and Crowd and so forth. And ultimately what happened was we got asked, how are you finding all these bugs? And I ended up explaining, look, like I've been building out automation for the last you know, six months, this automation is called Asset Note, and it's capable of finding vulnerabilities on your attack surface on a continuous basis. And they were like, wow, if you were selling that, we would definitely buy it. So (laughs) that was, I guess, what really motivated me to convert what was a concept at the time into a business as it is today. Okay. So you, you didn't intend to, I guess, start a business, but it came around because of what you built. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that's interesting. And and I'm guessing, which is, I don't know if it's irony or not, but obviously the business you're building is is, because of bug bounties and it's being funded because of your success in bug bounties as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Bug bounties are really important. And at Asset Note, we, we, all of us at Asset Note are bug hunters as well. So we are all really experienced when it comes to bug bounties. And we really care about that because what we believe is bug bounties uh, let you receive reports that have true security impact. 
And you can pay out only on the true security impact. You don't have to pay out on issues that aren't valid or have any security impact. And that value I hold really dearly and is something that's translated into asset note because we will never report vulnerabilities that you don't really care about. If we report something, it's usually like, wow, we should get on it right away. So yeah, bug bounties have a huge role at asset note. We do a lot of research with bug bounties. We do a lot of work with bug bounties in general. But ultimately, we're servicing the enterprise market and we're helping enterprises who can't typically run bug bounties or even already have a bug bounty, but they don't necessarily know what they own on the internet. They don't know exactly where all their assets are. And that's a huge, huge problem that we're solving today. Wow. So how did you go from basically having tools that you know, can can do a job to actually turn that into a business. That's not an easy step. Definitely not. And I would be completely lying if it, if I didn't mention my co-founder at this point, because something that's really key to our business at Asset Note is, you know, we work very well together as a team. But when I first started Asset Note, I didn't have my co-founder. And I was facing so many challenges and the company was really going nowhere. I didn't have some of that direction I needed when it came to the business side of things. I might have been experienced when it came to technology, when it came to finding vulnerabilities and so forth and creating software, but I really didn't understand how the enterprise market works. And I didn't understand how management works either because I'd never been in a position in my career that I was managing people. So I guess two of the really big things that came out of creating Asset Node uh, was that I, I knew that I had a shortcoming uh, when it came to business and management. And I knew that I didn't necessarily have the skills at the time to build the company. So I was really, really fortunate to find my co-founder, Michael Generakis, who has had a lot of experience in those areas. He used to run a team of 30 people at Spider Labs. So he's had a lot of experience with enterprise sales. He's had a lot of experience with management. And working together, we've been able to build the business so far to what it is today. And also, not just that, it's all the people on our team. They're all friends of mine that I've been working with for a long time who are awesome, awesome hackers. And I guess the other thing I'll just mention offhand is one of the big motivations for starting Asset Note was the fact that there really wasn't that really cool security company in Australia that you wanted to work for. Most of my friends, they were leaving Australia. They were moving to America because they got offered better jobs, better roles, more money, and things like that. I used to always look up to companies in Australia that used to provide security services, pen testing, and so forth. But there was never a company in Australia that I could work for where I wasn't doing consulting work, but I was still, still doing security research. I was still finding cool security stuff, doing cool security stuff, but I wasn't necessarily getting billed hour by hour as a consultant. There was no such job like that for me. And I always thought, how awesome would it be if, you know, in the future, there's something like Asset Note where you can work for us and you can spend time researching on all sorts of things and build it back into the platform. And, you know, ultimately, that's a role that, that, that security role is the dream job that I would have loved to have when I was a teenager. Hmm. And that's what I would like to create today. That's, those, those, those are the sort of roles that I'd like to create today at Asset Note. So to try and just wrap things up, Shubs, I guess you've seen a lot in your career. You've been exposed to the corporate side of things with Big Four, the boutique security consulting, bug bounties, now starting your own business. The industry's changed a lot. But I guess from your perspective, if, if let's say there was future Shubs out there 
looking to break into this industry what what advice would you give to someone who i guess yeah is looking to to try and overcome those hurdles and, and try and find their place in this industry so the first thing i would recommend is really getting into bug bounties i think that that's really key when it comes to showing your skills to employers but the other thing i would recommend is focusing on the fundamentals the fundamentals are still extremely important today even if some vulnerability classes aren't as prevalent today they are still really, really important to study because you will find them in your career. I don't think that things are going to change so much in the next five to 10 years that you're going to not have value by learning the fundamentals. When I mean fundamentals, mainly talking about web application security and application security in general, there are a lot of resources out there these days, like Hacker 101, there's the Burp Suite resources, there's a, there's a few others, there's even Bug Crowds resources, where they essentially teach you all these different classes of vulnerabilities and how to find them. And that's really important. That's probably some of the main things that I studied when I was a teenager was what are the different types of vulnerabilities and how do I find them? That's basically it and practicing that. The other thing that I was fortunate to do in my career was getting the OSCP, which is also very much so recommended. Like I think that I learned so much from that course when it comes to topic areas that I'm not necessarily specialized in. Like as we've been discussing, I, I'm specialized in application security and web application security. But OSCP, that opened me up to so many different things like network security, privilege escalation, binary exploitation, things like that. So if you do want to get a little bit more of that breadth in the industry, then I do recommend taking courses and certifications like the OSCP. Yeah, and, and actually do the course for the sake of it, not just the getting a certification for the sake of it. Totally, totally. That's really good advice. I think you're right about the fundamentals. And also, again, I, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but obviously you've, you've got to build up, a, I guess, a lot of skills, but you've also got to be really patient. Obviously, you've, you've had a lot of opportunities, but it's because you've effectively created them. You know, you're putting yourself in the right places at the right time, meeting the right sort of people. But these things wouldn't have happened if you hadn't have, build up those skills yourself, but also then put yourself out there by going to all these different things, events and conferences and meeting people. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. I do feel incredibly privileged today as, you know, as I've mentioned in this podcast, my, my family, we are, we're an immigrant family. And when we came to Australia, we had almost nothing came with like two bags of luggage to see my parents do so well for themselves and give me the opportunities that's just something that I will never be able to pay back and I value so much. And I'm incredibly fortunate to be in this position. So every time I used to look at this, I used to think, wow, imagine if my parents didn't immigrate to Australia. Would I still be in security? Would I still have all these opportunities that I've had? You know, That's a really interesting thing for me to think about. And ultimately, I don't think I would have had those opportunities. So I feel extremely privileged for all the opportunities that I've had. And it's just been really humbling, to be completely honest. That's awesome. I'm guessing your parents must be pretty proud of you in terms of what you've achieved so far. Yeah, they are. But at the same time, starting a business was a big deal for me and for my parents. They were quite worried. I know that my dad would prefer that I worked at a bigger company like Microsoft or something like that. But now he's finally seen the success in the business and he's kind of let that go and he's accepted the fact that the business is doing well and he's supportive. So that's awesome. That's really nice to hear. Great. Well, look, Shubs, thank you so much for your time. It's been really, really good to catch up and, and awesome just to hear your story and, and hopefully we can help inspire one or two other people out there as well. That's awesome. I really hope we do. All right. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Take care. 
Thanks for listening. And if you've got any questions, comments, please reach out to me. You'll find me online anywhere, CyberSec Ricky. And if you would like to be involved in the future, maybe be a guest and then reach out as well. Thanks for your time. Have a great day. Bye.